My friend Dominic Bayon came to me one day. He says, listen, I was like, I got this guy, Ed Koch. He goes, he's going to run for mayor. If we get him in, he said, we could run the city. There's a famous quote by former U.S. attorney of the Eastern District in 1983. We found wise guys just about everywhere we looked. That line in Nicholas Pileggi's book, The Mob and the Machine, will set the tone for what's about to come in this episode of The Enforcer. Lucky Luciano had politicians in the mob's back pocket, dating all the way back to 1931. A prime example was when Lucky sent two gunmen to see Harry Perry, a co-leader of Manhattan's 2nd Assembly District. The order was simple, step down in favour of Albert Marinelli. Needless to say, Perry complied. But what's difficult to trace is the link between the mafia and politicians. Why? Because the mob was clever enough to implicate politicians a few rungs below the top dog running for office, but had enough ability to put pressure on the top dog to make decisions that would benefit the mob. They were mitigating their risk. Very strategic. So I sat down with everybody and they says, this is what it is. We got to get them fundraisers. We get them voted in. We do whatever we want. And then we give them a piece of the action. Is that right? So I said, I need a place to have a uh, a fundraiser for him, a legitimate thing like do a Las Vegas night. I went and seen a friend of mine, Benny Kirkorada's name was, but he had the Chaise Royale in Brooklyn. It was on 16th Avenue between 63rd and 64th Street. He said, what is it? Ain't I says, look, the guy's going to run for mayor. If we back him up, we do fundraisers for him. You know, we give him the money, but we're taking it down for ourselves. We'll all make money, but we can, you know, have something nice. And if we get him in, there's no limit on what we can do. I seen him, it was about maybe two o'clock that afternoon. He says, look, you know what? He goes, let me sleep on it. He goes, we'll talk about it tomorrow. So now I'm already in my head that if he says no, I'm going to go with somebody else. Benny calls me up at 11 o'clock that night. I said, yeah, Benny, what's up? He says, let's do it. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. We started doing fundraisers for him. How we did it, we made them Las Vegas nights. Blackjack, polka, craps, baccarat, you name it, we had it in there. And it was all under, you know, a uh, fundraiser to get Ed Koch voted in. No problem. We would take, like, a third for ourselves, and we'd send the other two-thirds to him. All right? Now, being we were all fucking criminals, we couldn't be seen handing him a thing. You know, like an envelope. So, Bess Meisen used to meet me every week at my friend Dominic Rayon's house. He lived on Avenue O and East 14th Street. She'd come to the house. I used to give her the bag. She used to open up a little briefcase, take the money out, line it up, close it. We'd talk for about a half hour, hour, and off she went. So now I got my father, and I got a couple of the other guys, and we started getting the unions. We got the Longshoremen's Union. I got the construction, SNA Concrete. We got uh, Local 6, the electricians. I got the Plumbers Union, uh, what you call it. I got the XLO steel workers, the steel lashes. I got everybody in the unions. We said, this guy gets in, we got it made. Anthony and his cronies. Yeah, I had to get that word in the podcast. Anyway, they went to work to get their man into power. Bess Meissen, who collected the cash, has an interesting story of her own. She was the first Jewish woman to win the Miss America pageant in 1945. Decades later, she would go on to become a politician and work alongside Ed Koch, the man we're about to hear more of in just a second. 
we had so many votes for this guy. I think there was, even after he won, they were still counting votes. That's how many votes he had. And he got in. Now he gets sworn in. So now my friend Dominic says, what do you want to do? I said, no, there's a lot of shit I want to do. I said, well, first of all, I got an after hour club here. Let's put it on record. Best Meissen comes down. I said, this is my after hour club over here. She goes, what are you doing? I said, strictly after hours. She goes, all right, that's all yours. Don't worry, you won't have no problem. I opened up two gambling houses. I told her where they were. She says, don't worry about it. And every week, she used to come down. I used to hand her a bag. I used to put the money in the brown paper bag. She'd take it out, count it, and put it in the thing. I was giving her his end on that. Then I opened up a couple of bookmaking parlors. We got him an end on that. We opened up nightclubs. We had uh, discotheques, and we had other after-hour clubs. He got an end on everything. Now, we had construction. So... It was a friend of mine, Tato Beldeo. He sent the guy to me, Leo Deruba. He was the uh, business agent for uh, Olympia in York. Big, big uh, construction outfit based in Canada. They were billions. He says, we want to do the West Side Highway. I said, all right. I said, what do you want to do, Leo? He says, Anthony, you can get us the contract. All right, let me find out what it is. Tell him what it is. I says, give me a number on what you're looking to spend. So he gives me a number. I go back and see Best Mice. I said, listen, be in York. They're based out of Canada, but they want the whole West Side Highway from like the Bowery going up to 48th Street. And then they want to do the uh, maintenance afterwards. She goes, I'll bring it to Ed. I'll meet you tomorrow. Brings it to Ed. She comes back. Ed wants two, $2 million and 3% of the job. I go back. I tell Leo, listen, $2 million cash. He gets 3% of the job. He'll have it done by the end of the week. He goes back to his guy, and I don't hear from him for about two days. If I fuck him, he ain't going to do it. Calls me up. Third day, he calls me up. I'm coming to your house. I got to see you. So he comes in. He's got a suitcase. I said, Leo, you going away? Or no, he goes, that's for you. The fuck am I going to do with the suitcase? He goes, open it up. Two million dollars cash in the fucking suitcase. I called up Dominic. He got best. I went to the house. There's the money. That was on a Tuesday, Friday. He had the job. Nightclubs and gambling setups were commonplace for the mafia. The construction game was a natural next step, particularly given the sheer amount of money that could be made off one project. Better still, when Anthony and his crew didn't have to chase business, it would come to them. They were the gatekeepers who could lean on the power brokers to sign off on things like work permits. In the late 80s, a two-year investigation uncovered some revealing details about the construction industry in New York. People were locked up for shelling out payments to the mafia to help them do deals with the politicians. An official report would find that organised crime was seen as a stabilising influence by leaders in the industry. It helped to increase profits for many construction companies and union officials. The mayor, Ed Koch, had his say on this finding. I believe the industry is not doing what it could to oppose organised crime. If you are being extorted and accept it, and don't go to the cops, then you are contributing to the strength of organised crime. All right, so let's get this straight. Kosh was telling the media that the mafia were a massive problem, yet Anthony claims that he was taking his own cut behind the scenes. That's up to you to decide. All of the corporates were living it up. No way. Enough of the sarcasm. Anthony had some other shit to deal with. So I had an after-hour club on, in Brooklyn on West 6th Street between Kingshaven and Quentin Road at the Desiree Club. 
I got a piece of that from Christy Tick, who was the consigliere to the Lucchese family. I used to go to the after hour club all the time. This guy, Josie, I knew him very well. So I was all there every weekend. I was like a fixture in there because I had a house right there on West 6th Street. So one night I'm in there, and who comes in but Jerry Lang's son, Vincent, with his two idiot cousins. Now, there was a couple of guys from Chrissy Tick's crew over there, two guys with their wives or girlfriends or whatever. Another guy, nice guys, no problem. And I'm watching. These two guys walk away. They had to, I guess, go talk to somebody or whatever. And I'm watching. Vincent comes walking over with his two idiot cousins. They start talking to the women. I see the girls are getting fucking, you know, they're, they're nasty. They're getting nasty with them, telling them to get out of here, go away. P.S., the guys come back. One thing's led to another. Vincent tries to hit one of the guys. These are made guys. Vinny's not a made guy. His father is the was the street boss, Jerry Lang. But he tries to hit him. His other cousin tries to hit the guy with a bottle. So they kick the shit out of the three of them. The two guys kick the shit out of the three of them. Now I find out, Vincent walks up to one of them and says, I'll give you $50 if you suck my dick. His idiot cousin says, I'll give you 100 if I could fuck you, tells the other one. Are you fucking out of your mind? These here, you see these women are with somebody. You don't know who these guys are. But being that Jerry Lang was Vincent's father, Vincent thought who the fuck he was. He, you know, he thought more of himself than what he was. And all the cousins thought who the fuck they were. Because all the other uncles, they were like little bullshit. Little Shylock and bookmaking here and there. So the fight goes on. I threw them out of the club. They got the shit kicked out. I go home and I go to sleep. Pigs. That horrible mentality. The awful disrespect towards women. And boy, was Anthony pissed off. Despite their status, he couldn't let them get off lightly. My cousin calls me up about 8 o'clock in the morning. He goes, what are you doing? You sleeping? I said, not anymore. What the fuck? He goes, come down. He goes, 11.30, come down. He says, we got a meeting. I said, what's up? He says, just come down. Shower up, change up. I shoot down to the diplomat at 11.30. I see my cousin Mac. I see Alley Boy. I see Jerry Lang. I see Christy Tick with two guys. Wow, what the fuck's he doing there? Hey, Christy, how you been? Good. How's everything? I knew him very well. They said, listen... There was a fight last night, and two of Christie's guys threatened to kill my son and my nephew. He says, what? He says, yeah, and we know you were there. And Christie gave the okay to whack him. They were his guys. I says, wait a second, huh? That ain't what fucking happened. And everybody's looking at me and says, wait a minute, that ain't what happened. I says, Vincent, I said, Christie's guys were down there. They left to either talk to somebody or whatever. Vincent walked over with his two moron cousins. I says, Vincent told the girl, I'll give you $50 to suck my dick right here. The other kid says, I want to fuck the other one. He says, I'll fuck you. I'll give you $100. The girls would tell him to leave us. I was there. I said, now I'm telling them, now you got Christy Tick sitting there. These are his guys. He gave you okay to have whacked. And they wanted me to do the piece of work. Now I said, this is what happened. I said, and then your son hit the guy when the guy wasn't looking. I said, and then your nephew tried to crack the other guy with a bottle. So now it shows they're wrong. So he says, so uh, Alley Boy says, where's your son? Says he's home. He says, call him up. They call him and says, you and your two nephews and your two cousins come down here. Then what's the matter? He says, we got to talk to you. They're coming down. I go behind the bar in the diplomat. I'm making myself a drink. So who comes walking in, Vincent? Well, there's two cousins. They don't see me. I'm at the other side of the bar. So Jeffy goes, 
tell us what happened last night again. He goes, well, Pop, you know, this is what happened. Chris, these guys, and I walk over and I sat down, just like I'm looking at you. I said, tell me, tell me what happened last night. The kid sees me, he starts starting. He goes, well, you know, we were drunk and everything's a little foggy. Everything's a little hazy. I'm really not sure. I said, yeah, that's what I figured, Vincent. Jerry turned, Jerry had to eat crow. Uh, he told me Jerry was the street boss to the Colombo family. He had to eat fucking crow. He says, you, you, and you. He goes, get the fuck down the block, the Monty. He says, I'll deal with you later. Now Jerry's got him, Christy, we didn't know. So Christy says, listen, Christy was always a gentleman. He says, forgotten about. He goes, I'm just glad that we straightened it out. And he goes, Anthony, I'm glad. Well, they used to call me Pluto. That was my nickname. He goes, I'm glad you were there. I said, no, Chris, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say it ain't right if it's not right. You know what I'm saying? He says to me, Christy, he goes, what are you doing tonight? I says, nothing. He goes, meet me at Desiree about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So that's all right. So this is a night that I don't go down there. It was a weeknight. I go in and Joe Z is there. He goes, what are you doing? I said, Christy uh, told me to meet him here. He comes in. He says, Anthony, you know Joe Z. Joe Z, you know Anthony? He says, yeah. He goes, Anthony, you got my 50% of the club. It's a gift I'm giving to you. And he tells Joe Z, he goes, you and Anthony are partners now. Because Christy had 50%. Joe Z had 50%. Christy gave me his 50% because I saved his guys. With that, Christy would never take anything. He wouldn't take an envelope and run. So what I used to do, holidays and birthdays, I used to buy him a piece of jewelry, either for him, his wife, or one of his kids. So he had to take it, but he would never tell you, I wouldn't, you go to give him money, he wouldn't take it. That's how I became partners on Club Desiree. He said this, he said that. But peacekeeper Anthony would intervene, and a new skill to his repertoire, king diplomat. Save a few lives and get a 50% stake in a nightclub. Not bad. Next up, a nasty incident at the Desiree Club. With Desiree, we had a great setup over there. The cops would come back and forth. They never bothered us. There's one night, I'm up in the penthouse. It's on 88th Street between 4th and 5th Avenue. And they had a small little parking lot. And there was this guy there, Jerry Gerard. He was around Paul Vario. They made him. Nice guy, so I thought. This girl is backing out her car. Young girl, backing it out. Doesn't touch the... She, what she does, like what he used to call it, kisses this bumper. You know what I'm saying? There's just enough space you could put a piece of paper in between. He comes out, who the fuck you are? You fucking cunt, you who are you fucking douche? You touch my car. I say, Jerry, the girl didn't touch your fucking car. I don't give a flying fuck. That's my car. I said, Jerry, she didn't touch your fucking car. So the girl gets out. She's all apologetic. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. You're lucky. I'll make you suck my dick right here in front of everybody. I said, Jerry, watch your fucking mouth. He goes, I'm a made guy. I said, I'm a fucking enforcer. So fuck you. Now I'm giving you over you. He looked at me, Jay. Well, I'm taking that. You go take it to fucking Paulie. The girl didn't do nothing. I said, now you're getting out of fucking hand. Because now, because what? Because you got made. You're a tough guy now. The girl's all panicked. I says, listen, let me back the car. I said, do you want a drink? I said, no, I just want to go home. So right, let me back the car. I back the car out for her. I said, make sure you get home. I said, you sure you're okay? She goes, yeah. She takes off. He's ranting me. I said, Jerry, you're fucking wrong. So I'm telling you now. You better watch your fucking mouth. You're wrong. I get a call. Nine o'clock in the morning. Come to 18th Avenue. Somebody wants to see you. I go to 18th Avenue. And I'm looking. I see Fonzois sitting there. Oh, hey, Fonzois, what are you doing? Fonzois is a boss in the fucking family. He goes, I want to thank you for what you did with my niece last night. I said, your niece? I didn't do it. He goes, at the penthouse. I was, oh, fuck. I said, this is his niece. 
Jerry has no fucking idea the problem he's going to have. He goes, here's what I'm going to tell you what to do. You tell that Scanzanese, he says, that I said, I'll let it pass this time because he didn't know it was my niece. He opens up his fucking mouth again. He's not long for this world. This is Nope, Don't even worry about it. I'll deliver the message. I told Jerry, I don't give a fuck. I'm a made guy. I'll kill every fucking one of them. I said, Jerry, don't talk like that. Fuck them. Who they think they are? This went on for a week. He was cursing them all through the street. Fuck their wise guys. I'll fucking kill them. I'll take over their family. And I'm telling Jerry, don't open your mouth. Nah, okay. I get a call. Go back down. Fuenzois says, do me a favor. I said, whatever you want. Because two guys are going to come and see you. He goes, I would appreciate it if you could help them out. Just don't even worry about it. Go back to the club. Two guys I know. I know the two guys. They come walking in. They say, Anthony, we got to ask you a favor. I said, what? Because when Jeffrey Gerard comes here tonight, don't let him in. That's no problem. I knew exactly what was going to happen. He didn't have to say it. I said, don't even sweat it. Now, the way Desiree was, I had a car service over here with a big window and everything. You walked into the car service, and then right next door was the club. Now, the way it was situated, if you walked into my car service in the front room, then I had a back room. That was a private room. And there was a door that when you opened that door, it led into the after hour club. So I didn't even have, never had to go outside to go around to get into the club. I see Jerry Gerard parks across the street on West 6th Street between Kings Highway and Quentin Road. He parks across the street by the uh, post office. He comes walking across the street like a fucking, like a fucking rooster, you know, strutting his stuff. I told Josie, I said, Joe, lock the door. Lock the door to the club, don't let him in. And Joe, he knew what was going on, he locks, I'm standing there. I see two guys coming this way because I'm standing by the thing, by the uh, glass door. He sees him, Jerry. He comes running. He's running up to the door of the car service. I just went, just shook my head, no. And he knew I wasn't opening that door. He's banging on the door to the after hour club. No answer. And I say, who the fuck is this nut job banging on the door? People asking. He runs around the corner to Quentin Road, right off of West 6th Street. They caught him in somebody's gang. They blasted him right there. They killed him. There's a fucking door now. So now I tell Joe, I said, all right, I said, listen, nobody in, nobody out. I said, we're going to have a problem with cops are coming. Nobody in the club, nobody out of the club. I said, don't worry about it. Body on the road, nightclub full of patrons, cops everywhere. Yeah, not the most ideal scenario when you're trying to run a party. So now you got the cops, you got detectives. You got the fucking organized crime squad. You got the ambulance. Every and fucking streets loaded. But me and Joe go outside. So I'm gonna have a cigarette. I have a cigar, man. So I go outside and I light up a cigar. There's two fucking idiots pull up in their fucking Cadillac. Now you got one squad car here, one here. They pull up in between the two cars. I look at Joe. And I said, "You gotta be fucking kidding me." They come out. Hey, Anthony, they're banging on the door. I said, well, you out of your fucking mind? You see all the cops? I mean, you had cop cars. You had detectives cars. You had the, uh, the, what do you call it, that, uh, you know, the thing that they used to pick up the dead bodies with, the medical examiner. All over West 6th Street, and everything's basically between my club and Quentin Road. How the fuck you banging on the door? I said, get the fuck out of here, you moron. You're going to get me pinched. They get in the car and they drive off. And I'm telling you, I said, look at this fucking shit. So he goes like this, and they turn around. Let's watch. There's more idiots coming to the door. I turn around. There's this guy, about six foot four. Blue pants, white shirt with fucking stars up over here. Three stars here, three stars here. 
And he's looking right at me, and he's walking over. I said, Joe, I think I'm going to get pinched. He says, don't worry. If they pinch, he says, I'll, uh, he goes, I'll call the lawyer. I says, all right. Guy walks over to me. He goes, are you Anthony? I looked at him. I says, yeah. He goes, are you Eddie's friend? I looked at him. I didn't answer. I didn't click right away. Because what's on, what got to me was, how the fuck does this guy know my name? So he goes, I'm asking, are you Eddie's friend? I'm just looking at him. He goes, listen, I'm going to ask you again. Are you Eddie's friend? Then it hit me. I said, yes, I am. He goes, okay, I just wanted to verify. I go, do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. Let people in, let people out. Nobody's going to bother you. So I'm not letting people out. I'm letting people in. Meanwhile, people coming in and out of the club. I got a dead fucking body around the corner, but God knows how many fucking holes in them. I got detectives all over. Reporters, no less. I got fucking reporters with live cameras and shit. I got the fucking, uh, what do you call that guy? The, uh, the medical examiner from the fucking morgue over there. And I said, you got to be fucking kidding me. He says, well, anybody? I said, it's good to be Eddie's friend. I had people coming in and out. So after that, when uh, everything was all said and done, the guy comes walking back. I says, listen. I says, anytime you and your guys over here want to come to the club, feel free to come to the club with your wives, your girlfriend. You drink for nothing. The guy says, I appreciate it. Thanks. He says, but don't even worry about it. They came in. They did come in a couple of times. Maybe like once a month they would come in. It was like four of them with their wives. Told the bartender, time they come in, don't give them not a fucking check, nothing. Give them whatever the fuck they want. If they want to fucking have sandwiches, go across the street to the deli and get it for them. They came in for about six months, and after that, they you know they didn't come. They didn't come no more. Firstly, there have been a number of bold claims in this podcast. We can't ignore that. And as we have referenced time and time again, this is Anthony's version of offence. See, the thing is, Ed Koch has gone down folklore as one of the most revered mayors in New York City. That is fact. People loved the guy. During his term in office, the city invested billions to help rebuild desolate areas in the Bronx, Harlem and Brooklyn. Koch's efforts convinced many New Yorkers to embrace a new political order He was at the forefront of subsidising business, particularly the finance sector, insurance, real estate, and played a key role in privatising public space. As Mitchell Moss, a professor of urban policy in New York, once remarked, the city needed hope. It needed a champion. It needed a voice. Ed Koch became that voice. Endearing words, indeed. But don't forget, there's loads of evidence to suggest that the mob and politicians weren't as far apart as you may think. Next time on The Enforcer. Jimmy Burke came up with the story about Lufthansa. He tells my cousin, he goes, you think you can think of something? And he looked at me and said, Anthony, what about you? you know, I know somebody that could possibly, I would say 99% he can put a deal together. He says, oh, as I fly down to Miami, I see Maya Lansky. He turns around and says, go ahead, go. So all right. I called up Maya that night. He says, I'm coming down. He goes, all right, I'll meet you at the airport. He says, I've got a ticket for tomorrow, so I'm coming down. He goes, I'll meet you at the airport. Went down there, seen Maya, went to his house off of Collins Avenue. Started talking. I told him about the deal with Lufthansa. Six million in cash and maybe another couple of hundred thousand in jewelry. Maya says, it's not bad. This is a good score. He figured 1978 is a great fucking score. 
The Enforcer is a Podular Media production in conjunction with 360DMG and recorded at Carpe VM Studios, New York. All music copyright is owned by Epidemic Sound. Narration, storyboarding and audio production by Rob Crawford. Scripting and storyboarding by Adrian Horton. Interviewing and research by Robert Huxley. On-site recordings from Charles de Benedictus, Rod Marcus, Rod Nunez and Jeff Rowell. The Enforcer is based on When the Bullet Hits the Bone, the amazing and possibly true life story of the last Mafia Enforcer. All accounts and claims are that of Anthony Raimondi.